0: Good morning. May it please the court, counsel. My name is Jeffrey Sheridan. I'm the attorney for the appellant in this case. Her name is Jennifer Rosenbush. This matter is before the court this morning on, a, on an appeal that began as a state's appeal of the district court's order suppressing a breath or a blood test result uh, in this DWI case. Uh, uh, the district court ruled uh, that the um, way in which the, the blood sample was collected was done in violation of this court's ruling in Friedman versus Commissioner of Public Safety.
1: Counsel, what effect does it have um, that there was a change in statute that required a warrant for blood or urine versus no warrant for a breath test?
0: Uh, the legislature is not empowered to take away a constitutional right. They can't legislate a constitutional right away. So the answer is it made no difference that the that the legislature had changed the law uh, between the time of Friedman and the time of Ms. Rosenbusch's test. I would urge you, uh, when we talk about Friedman, uh, and I, I should have gone into more depth in this in my brief and I apologize, but when we talk about Friedman, I urge you to consider Friedman to be the the last case in a quartet of cases uh, deciding this question of whether there was a right to consult with an attorney at the time that a test is being administered in a routine DWI case. It began with Palmer when they said there was no federal constitutional right to talk to a lawyer and then it went to Prudhoe when they said, well, even though there isn't a federal constitutional right, there's a state statutory right to do it. And then it went to NIFLOT. And in NIFLOT, they said, well, we agree there's no federal constitutional right to do it. And the legislature decided to take away the state constitutional right to do it. So now we're back to no right. <clears throat> it's no right to counsel, and then finally culminated in this decision, Friedman versus Commissioner of Public Safety. I would urge you to go back and read that entire quartet, not just for the majority opinions, but for all of the opinions, the concurrences, the special concurrences, the dissents, because it will sh- will shed light on the era, what was going on at that time, and why it was that the justices of the court, this court. We're having so much trouble trying to determine whether a person should be allowed to talk to a lawyer at this critical time. In the, the, final, in the final analysis, or in all of the analysis...
1: Counselor, can you think of any other situation where an individual who has been served with a search warrant is entitled to talk to counsel
2: before the search warrant is executed? No, there is no other circumstance where that's the case. But back to my well, point. But following up on Justice McCaig's question, sure. as I read your brief, logically, maybe it seems that there should be a right to counsel when a search warrant is served. Let's take a complex white-collar case. we you got a search warrant to seize computers and cell phones, and it's uh, a violation of Minnesota law, and I can't remember the section within Chapter 609, to obstruct an investigation. That might be a great time, To have the subject of the search warrant consult with counsel on the degree to which there's going to be cooperation in the execution of the warrant. 60950 is the section you're thinking of
0: that's uh, uh, um, the obstructing legal process, but the obstructing legal process statute requires that the obstruction take place with force. So basically, you have to fight the investigating officers uh, in their effort to try to execute a search
2: warrant in your, in your business, well, which I think is slightly d- different. You don't unlock, you refuse to unlock the door? I mean, don't you think that's obstruction of legal process? It, it, it's altogether
0: possible, but trust me, the police have a way of opening the door, even if you won't unlock it. They do, but
2: it may not <laughs> preclude a criminal charge.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think if it's not done with force, if you simply stand on the other side of the glass, and uh, I don't have to help, right? I don't have to help you in executing your search warrant. I just have to stay out of the way. Okay,
2: anyway, it could be a complicated legal question, though, it as to the degree to which you're going to cooperate in the, uh, in the search, right? Indeed. But if you read the quartet that I'm talking about,
0: what you're going to see is that the justices are struggling with this very uncomfortable merging of criminal and civil law. The criminal DWI statute with this civil implied consent law, which it was being argued as this is purely a civil matter, even though it's being used as a way to uh, to acquire evidence to use against a person in a criminal case, that it's purely a civil matter and you all don't need to worry your pretty little judicial heads about this law, because it's civil. And as you work your way through that quartet of cases, you will see that the justices were becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the idea that the state gets too whacks at you for the same thing, that they get to go after you in this civil proceeding and 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 is chew the entire criminal justice process while also prosecuting you for this criminal
3: case. You know, and I, I think that's an interesting approach you suggest, Mr. Sheridan, because I uh, I remember as those cases were coming out and the discussion about it, and, and I think it is, does make sense to view them as a quartet. And I'm just wondering if maybe where we're at now, looking at the recent cases that have been decided, um, has either Friedman outlived its usefulness or is it um, is it really confined to non-warrant cases? Warrants are in a different position than um, than uh, Friedman. And I would argue that exactly the opposite is true. I thought you might. Tell me why. <laughs> that not
0: only have things not gotten less complicated since the time of Friedman, but they are not only more, more complicated than ever, but that the weight associated with this marriage, uh, it's actually what uh, I think Justice Todd referred to as a bad marriage and which they should be divorced uh, back in uh, that, that that the... Uh, to understand that, at the time *Friedman* was decided, there were two statutes, Minnesota Statute 169.121, the DWI statute, and 169.123, the implied consent law. At that time, those two laws together occupied less than 10 pages of criminal code. Today as of July 1st of 2017, when this section went into effect, Minnesota's criminal, or the the impaired driving code is now 46 pages long, more than four times more complicated than it was at the time that Friedman decided this stuff is just too complicated for any drunken person at 2.30 in the morning to be able to make some sort of an important decision at that point in time. And remember, Friedman didn't guarantee them the right to talk to a lawyer. Friedman guaranteed them the right to try at 2.30 in the morning to try to get some advice for what Niflot made very clear, again in this quartet, is an irreversible decision, right? You don't get to change your mind, remember Niflot, she had refused testing, she asked for a lawyer, they said, no, that law changed, you don't get to talk to a lawyer anymore. She refused testing and they said, okay, now you can talk to a lawyer. She called the lawyer and the lawyer said, my God, take the test. And she said, okay, I'll take the test. And the cop said, oh, too bad already we tricked you we're not we're not interested in your test anymore we're no longer interested in whether you were driving while impaired right because now we got you for a refusal at the time that 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 Friedman was decided there was no such thing as a criminal refusal you couldn't be prosecuted for refusing and yet the Friedman court said you have a right to talk to a lawyer before making this decision revocations were in 90 days for a failure and a year for a refusal. Today, revocations are six, can go be as long as six years in length. Okay, the revocations were nothing more than a blemish. Right? Maybe your insurance company found out and jacked up your rates, but they couldn't be used as the equivalent of a criminal conviction. But that's the law today. So you can be pr- there was council. No council, thing a if I may, the, the,
4: the state suggests though that, that that the balance is, if you will, if you want to call it, the balance is is still maintained because now uh, police have to secure a warrant, which means they've had to show probable cause to a neutral magistrate, and so you don't you don't have this this adversary, if you will, or unchecked adversary. I think is what we called it in Friedman, um, and I'm curious your your reaction to that.
0: My reaction is that's a red herring that somehow is is trying to, to Convince you that because there's a warrant now there is no right
1: But then why to re- add the, why, why add the additional? Um, obligation to go get a warrant
0: Well because the Supreme Court said you needed one for a bladder. and if you wanted to prosecute refusal to submit to testing as a criminal offense, then you first had to obtain a warrant. That the way we had done it for our 30 years of implied consent world, uh, or 40 years, or whatever it is now, uh, was no longer, we, you couldn't use that process and then prosecute someone for refusing a fluid test. But it doesn't change the fact that there was never, under your case law, there has never been a right to refuse testing until we got to Thompson and Trahan. That was the first time that this court, and frankly in in interpreting what the United States Supreme Court said, that was the first time that there ever existed a right to refuse testing. So the fact that there's a warrant today means there's no right to refuse testing. But read Niflot, at the time of Niflot, Court was very clear that under this interpretation of single-factor exigency, that, that any time alcohol is involved, that a police officer never needs to think about getting a warrant, and that there is no right, and Niflot makes that clear, there was never a right to refuse testing, but there was always an option to refuse testing. And nothing about the new law has changed that because today there is still an option, even in the face of a judicial warrant, to refuse to submit and is
4: to the, And I presume that option is found in subdivision 13. That's what you're referring to because um, as I read the state of 171, because as I read the state's brief, they're suggesting that there still is no, there is no decision to be made. So even if we were to apply Friedman outside of the strict implied consent, um confines there's no decision that the driver can make now i think i'm reading their brief correctly um simply because of of the presence of the warrant and And i I gather you would reject that
0: i do i do there there is not a right to refuse that test there is absolutely the option to refuse that test contained within the statute and in fact, in this case,
5: counsel, can uh, defense counsel actually advise a person to ignore a court order when a warrant's issued?
0: It's an interesting question. If you go back to Niflot, the question was: Is it, that uh, in note, footnote three of the majority opinion in Niflot, said counsel can't counsel someone to refuse testing back then either. So you can't counsel somebody ethically to commit a crime, but you, but. It, it, Remember that Friedman came out after Niflot, after the court had already said that it doesn't matter because a lawyer can't tell you not to take the test anyway. But bear in mind that the right to counsel may, have, may be to talk the person into taking the test. Right? Remember that the advisory well, now is... Cer-
5: certainly the lawyer could lay out all of the things and make no recommendation. And absolutely. that would be including that there is this option to not follow the warrant, but not recommend it.
0: Correct. Yeah. So the, again, that's, that's the job of the lawyer. And remember in, in, uh, in Davis, uh, other case I cite in the brief, remember that in Davis, after, after Friedman came down uh, in what I generally refer to as a legislative tantrum, they went in and took all of the useful information out of the implied consent advisory. right? And now we're not going to tell you anything about what might happen to you if you take or refuse this test Now you're on your own. You got a right to counsel, great, go exercise it. But now we're not gonna tell you anything. And so that and and so we came back to you in Davis and said, really? Are you gonna let them take all of the information out? And your response was yes, because of the right to counsel. The right, you have the right to talk to somebody who actually is going to help you with your particular circumstances make this decision. That's why Friedman is so important and why I would argue that the new advisory clearly violates your decision in Davis.
1: Counsel, what do we do um, in reading the Miki brief from um, the Minnesota County Attorney's Association? It talks about if, if we, let's say we agree with you that there should be the right to counsel even though that there's this warrant requirement now. So what's the timing of that? So is there, can it be done simultaneously that miss like your client in this instance could be calling an attorney while they're going to get a warrant or do they have to get a warrant and then say now you have an, the right to talk to an attorney?
0: I don't know that there has to, that you have to decide one way or the other, but certainly there's no reason that that couldn't be happening simultaneously. Um, but, uh, you know. Uh,
5: but isn't the first question <laughs> defense counsel's going to ask is, is there a warrant?
0: Yes. I mean. And then the, the answer back from the officer is it's in process. Okay, I can give you some advice based on it's in process. But the question now is, is that now the advice? The okay, so it's in process. So, so you have
5: your consultation, you hang up the phone, and then 20 minutes later, the warrant comes in. Mm-hmm. So then is there another right to counsel again now that we've got the warrant?
0: Perhaps. And again, the, how the, the logistics of that... I mean, the way this works in the station house now is that the right to counsel doesn't when a when a person hangs up the phone that doesn't end the conversation the officer will ask uh, have you had enough time to talk to a lawyer do you want to talk to anybody else or do you want to be done with your attorney time you, you get to make those conversations are going on in station houses all across the state today so how the 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 particular logistics of any particular case shake out is obviously what we do as lawyers we litigate right whether that comported with the spirit of the law but the spirit of the law today uh, the this law today is you get no information at all and it's i want to point this out just because it's an interesting side note in this particular case in this case the officer got a warrant to search for blood and then told ms rosenbush refusal to submit to this test is a crime That's it. That was the extent of the implied consent advisory that he provided, refusal to submit to a test is a crime. In this case, that was a lie. If she'd have refused blood testing, he would have had to offer her a urine test before she could be prosecuted for refusing to submit to the test, and had to have gone back to a judge and got a second warrant, because he didn't bother to get a warrant for blood or urine in the first place. So not only is that little snippet of information colossally unhelpful, but in this particular circumstance, it was actually false. It was not true. That is all information that a lawyer could have provided to her. In addition, by the way, and if you really want to use this refusal threat as a reason to get someone to provide you evidence, which I hope is the wholesome reason why this threat exists is to actually compel people to do it. And all you're going to do is provide one nugget of information in your new advisory form. Why not at least tell them that refusal to take the test is a more serious crime
2: than driving drunk? Counsel, on your point that she didn't get an accurate advisory, Um, Is that before us, or is is this simply a question of right right to counsel? It's not before us. It's a
0: question of right to counsel. It's uh, yet another illustration of the answer to to (laughs) Justice Anderson's question. Has this, as the county attorney... Offered for for
3: illustrative purposes only.
0: Right. That as, the, as the is the County Attorneys Association right that this has become some quaint and antiquated uh, right to talk to a lawyer and boy these these criminal defense lawyers have no role in this situation at all that's their position my position is that when you go from 10 pages to 46 pages When there's, you know, there was never such a thing as as the scarlet letter of whiskey plates uh, back at the time of Friedman. There was never such a thing uh, as vehicle forfeitures at the time of Friedman. There was no such thing as mandatory holds if you tested over a certain limit. Uh, There was no such thing as having your license revoked for taking prescription medicine. But, right? council,
1: isn't that probably in response to the, the progression or the, of the number of people who are actually committing DWIs? I mean, it's one in seven people in the state of Minnesota have committed a DWI. And, of course, the consequences of that with individuals being killed, harmed, disabled permanently... Isn't that in response, I mean, isn't the legislature responding to the fact that we unfortunately have not been able to lower the numbers of DWIs in the state? And,
0: and, I'm, and I'm certainly not advocating in favor of drunk driving. Let's be very clear about that. I don't drink at all. Okay, that's not what I'm advocating for. What I'm advocating for is that if you're going to do this, if you're going to allow the state to have two whacks at you, right, to think about that as like, probably the most un-American thing imaginable, that the state gets two bites at you for the exact same thing, one with a a burden of proof of, of preponderance of the evidence, right? That if you're going to allow that to take place, the one protection, the one protection that you talked about in Davis is the lawyer. Right, because they've taken away all of the other information in this. You know, the next counsel. Most
5: this 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 sort of double whacking theory that you have, though, it, it isn't really unique to DWI. I mean, you could you could imagine in the licensing context, for example, if an attorney steals from a client, mm-hmm. um, they're going to be disbarred probably, and they also are likely to face criminal charges. So probably. So but. I mean, wouldn't so do we have a warrant? Re- to thinking about a warrant requirement in that context too, then,
0: sure. but we do this all the time, and I mean, in the and in the context of let's say uh, uh, Department of Health nursing licenses, that sort of stuff for people who are accused of crimes. Uh, so the, they begin the criminal process, and they provide you notice that they're going to take action against your nursing license uh, because you're accused of domestic assault. But hypothetically okay they serve that notice on you uh, and then you make a request for an administrative hearing and the first thing the administrative law judge says is is there a criminal case pending yes there is all right we're gonna stay this and we're gonna wait await the outcome of the criminal case and generally if there results in a favorable outcome to the nurse it's dismissed uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the nurse is acquitted uh, of the charge the administrative process ends that it is then becomes uh, dependent somewhat on the outcome. Now, it may be that they still want to proceed against it, but as a general rule, they, they stop that process, put it in hold, wait for the outcome of the criminal case, and then make the decision.
1: But that is not required to happen in that fashion. It, it, I mean, similarly to child protection proceedings, if a parent is charged criminally, I mean, generally, they will wait for those criminal charges to resolve, but not always, and there's nothing that requires them to. And then also, if they... If the defendant is successful in defending the criminal charges and they're found not guilty there's nothing that prevents the county and in fact generally the county does still proceed because of the difference of clear and convincing versus beyond a reasonable doubt
0: yes and that that indeed does happen this double whack that I refer to is the fact that most people have suffered the, the, the greatest consequence they're gonna suffer from a DWI violation before they ever set foot into a criminal courtroom. The Commissioner of Public Safety revokes their driver's license, the law makes clear that every place other than Hennepin County, that you're going to wait, uh, you're going to sit without your license while you're waiting for your day in court. All right, and so you have the the that that Part of the punishment is imposed before you ever set foot into the courthouse. It also, by the way, separates off that as a criminal case so that if the state doesn't get around to prosecuting you until after 60 days and you happen to be a person who needs the services of a public defender, the first time you have a chance to talk to a lawyer might be after the statute of limitations on the implied consent proceeding has already run. Right? At least in these other licensing proceedings, the state initiates the proceeding. That is started by the state and they have to come in and prove this up in
1: an implied consent proceeding. But there isn't a right to counsel in the implied consent proceeding where there is a right to counsel in the DWI process going through the criminal there, court. There is no right to counsel in the implied consent process. Right? So the, the And, and it, what I'm saying is that, what I'm suggesting is that if you have somebody who is a public defender eligible, mm-hmm. they would have to go out and hire counsel and they wouldn't have to necessarily be waiting for the criminal, that's my. Okay, absolutely.
0: So what it, all it requires is knowledge and resources. Right, So you can go out and pri- hire a private lawyer to do this separate, what I refer to as the shadow prosecution, and I realize that uh, yeah, I, I, I understand all the subtleties of that. Okay, But this is the only arena where the state gets to do this, and in order for you to stop it, you have to sue the state of Minnesota to get your driver's license back. Otherwise, 60 days comes and goes. This is a permanent part of your record. And at the time Friedman was decided, there was no such thing as a felony DWI. But today you can be prosecuted for a felony DWI if you've got three prior convictions on your record. But guess what? Within 10 years. Within 10 years. But guess what? You can be prosecuted if you have, for a felony if you have zero prior convictions on your record that can, you were acquitted in all 3 of those or in all the, 3 of those even the prosecutor walked in and said my god you weren't the driver of this car i'm dismissing the case can the legislature
6: constitutionally d- delete the requirement that e- that you have the option to refuse uh, that you have the option to refuse the test
0: sure they didn't need to do this at all The only reason the legislature did this is because they wanted that power to be able to revoke the person's license before they walked into the courtroom. There is not a reason in the world that you couldn't just remove blood and urine from the implied consent law and leave it at that. Now, if an officer goes after blood or urine and uses a warrant, he wouldn't then be able to revoke the person's driver's license before they came to the courthouse that's the only thing that got added. Uh, that's the Hun case isn't it well right and take a look at this where did they decide to put this in the legislative code right Did they put it in the implied consent section no did they put it in the criminal section no did they put it in the search warrant section no where they put it was in the driver's license section this is about taking the license before you get to the courthouse and they have come up with this awkward procedure this marriage between the civil
6: and the criminal all for the purpose. Well, they have the right to, the legislature has the right to come up with whatever awkward procedure they want to. The question so is. As long as it
0: doesn't violate the state constitutional right to consult with an and, attorney at that
6: point. And that's, and, and I'm sorry, we can come back to this on, on rebuttal. Okay.
5: Thank uh, you. Yes, Mr. Sheridan, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Ms. Light.
7: May please the court, counsel. My name is Anna Light, Assistant Dakota County Attorney, and I represent the state of Minnesota in this matter. Appellant clings to an implied consent framework that no longer exists. When it comes to blood or urine tests, implied consent is dead, because now a search warrant is required. With this quartet of cases that the appellant is referring to, he's walking us through the weeds of implied consent law but now that there's a requirement of a search warrant, that search warrant has pulled us out of the weeds, and there's no reason to go back. As Justice Lillahog mentioned very quickly, the State v. Hun case, appellant ignores this case, and for good reason. Hun clearly held that Friedman is limited and only applies when the implied consent advisory is read. It only applies in implied consent cases. And in footnote two of Hun, this court clearly stated that now uh, only breath tests can be sought under the implied consent law. Here, a search warrant was obtained to collect a blood sample. We are completely out of the implied consent world.
3: Does it matter in, your, in, the, in the world that you would like to have the court affirm here, the Court of Appeals decision, does it matter that in the context of some kinds of drunk driving proceedings you're entitled to consult with counsel, limited right to counsel, and then in other types, if your, side is, if you, if your position was to prevail, in other types of drunk driving proceedings, there is no such right? Is, is there some inconsistency there, and is that a problem?
7: No, it's not a problem because um, of the U.S. Supreme Court case in Birchfield and this court's case law in Trahan and Thompson. Um, it's a Fourth Amendment analysis. And uh, what uh, this court and the U.S. Supreme Court has held is that breath tests are permissible as a search inc- incident to arrest, um, while blood and urine tests are not permissible unless there is a search warrant. And so.
6: Or there's some other exception to the warrant requirement, right?
7: Correct. Um,
6: Does that matter? I mean, so you have a situation where there's not a warrant, but they say, I I suppose it's exigent circumstances, there wouldn't be a right in that context either?
7: Correct. Because as long as uh, it follows the Fourth Amendment analysis and Fourth Amendment rights of the driver are fully protected, either by securing a search warrant or a valid uh, exception to the search warrant, either exigent circumstances on a case-by-case analysis um, or uh, voluntary consent. Um, but so it's, it's purely a Fourth Amendment analysis now. Uh, well, but so I, the, just, I
3: think the question that I have, maybe I sh- should refine it a little bit further. Um, I th- the question that I have is that it isn't the ultimate question that the driver uh, or the de- potential defendant f- faces the same in either context, which is what is the compli- What are the potential complications for whatever choices the the defendant? You argue that the defendant here doesn't have any choices, what, but the statute seems to contemplate that some will refuse the test, and then the the statute says there are consequences to that decision. So, but aren't the aren't those consequences something that the um, the driver in one context? has the opportunity to get explained in the other context, the driver doesn't.
7: Correct. And, and but that really does hinge on whether the driver has a choice to make and whether a driver has a decision to make.
1: Wouldn't we be adding more confusion? I mean, it's to me, the law has progressively gotten more confusing. And so if we have, if you have a breath test, no warrant necessary blood, urine, Warrant necessary breath test. You get to talk to a lawyer, but if it's by a warrant, you don't I mean, aren't we creating more confusion
7: it? it, Possibly Um, and and to resolve that confusion this court if this court were so inclined uh, I would invite the court to consider overturning Friedman Uh, I am not sure that this that that issue is squarely before the court today because this is not a breath case this is a blood case um, and whether Friedman still applies in the breath test arena, I think is, is an open question. I think it is possible Counsel, that Counsel, just
5: articulate what, what are the substantial and compelling reasons that would support a decision that we should overrule our precedent.
7: Sure. Friedman uh, decided in 1991 was a plurality opinion to begin with. Um, and it carved out a very narrow exception under the Minnesota Constitution to the general Sixth Amendment right to counsel rule that that counsel does not right to counsel does not attach until formal charging. Friedman created this very narrow exception under uh, the specific set of circumstances that were concerning to the plurality um, at the time under the implied consent law that was in existence at the time. I think um, as this court's jurisprudence has progressed over the years. We have seen a shift um, into uh, a, fourth, a straight Fourth Amendment analysis and now with uh, the analysis of breath tests under search incident to arrest and with the wi- warrant requirement for fluid tests, um, I think it, it, it uh, is before the court and, and is, could be uh, compelling reasons to overturn Friedman that the concerns present in Friedman are no longer um, of concern to well,
2: council. Res- with- how do you respond to opposing counsel's argument that back in the Freedman days, yeah, it's the loss of the license. Now, it's a separate crime. The stakes are higher for the driver here than for Freedman because test refusal is a criminal offense.
7: Sure, um, that doesn't change uh, the reasoning for me. Um, the uh, concern in Freedman was a driver being presented with alternate choices uh, in the face of their adversary uh, that held the full power of the state behind them um, and was given an advisory that could cause confusion. So to me, so
2: isn't there a choice here submit, don't submit, no crime, crime. Well, there'd be a crime, but a different kind. I mean, Uh, isn't that the choice presented here to the driver?
7: No, I, I would. I submit that there is still no choice. The, the driver now with a blood test is pre- presented with a, ser- they're served a search warrant, which tells them that a judge has reviewed the facts, has found probable cause that a crime has occurred, and has ordered the law enforcement officer to take, uh, blood
4: counsel if if that 's true and and, and Justice Lillahog was getting into what my question was going to be it 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 does seem to strike me that this comes down to whether or not there is a choice and and as Justice Lillahog and others have said, those choices are significant and have significant consequences for for a driver. but when I look at one seventy one uh subdivision thirteen, the very first word in that is if a person refuses to permit a blood or urine test as required by a search warrant. That word if suggests to me they can do so. So they have a choice. They can either submit or they can not submit. And that choice has huge ramifications, just as it did in Friedman. Why is that an incorrect reading?
7: The legislature... uh was actually creating an avenue to give law enforcement a choice, so to to avoid violent encounters when trying to um, to force a blood draw. The legislature was trying to have an avenue where, if a driver was physically resisting, was getting confront, you know physically confrontational with and there's wouldn't an eagle, they have
6: that choice without the statute?
7: The law enforcement.
6: You know, what law enforcement doesn't have to use the doesn't have to if someone's resisting. Even without that statute, law enforcement doesn't have to force someone to take a blood test. Correct. So that can't be the reason, right? Doesn't there have to be something else here? Like giving the defendant a choice?
7: No. uh, My position is that uh, it's giving law enforcement an option to pursue and hold a person accountable um, where there's already, when a judge has found probable cause that, that um, they are under the influence of alcohol and, and have been operating a vehicle. But counsel, um, that,
4: that may well be true. I mean, that rationale that you're giving may be, in fact, accurate, but the consequences to the driver of, uh, are, are significant because you can be prosecuted for a crime uh, in these instances, and so uh, there may be multiple reasons why that language is there. Yours may be one of them, but that does not negate the fact that if you refuse, you can still be prosecuted for a crime right
7: right i and but i I would say that this is not unique to the dwi world that um, in any time that that a search warrant is being executed and they refuse to comply with the execution of the search warrant, they could also be charged with a crime, with obstruction of justice. So to me, it's it's across the board. So as uh, Justice Lillehug mentioned earlier, um, if this court rules that there's right to counsel before complying with a search warrant, I, I do not see how that holding could be confined to DWI cases anymore. And so then you would be overturning all of uh, Fourth Amendment, and or, sorry, right-to-counsel case law um, that has held that there is no right-to-counsel before execution of a search warrant because as part of the investigatory phase of of uh, a criminal investigation, you're not at a critical stage yet.
3: Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I I have some reservations about sort of the underpinnings of Friedman and, and all of that, but if Friedman itself didn't trigger some kind of right to an extended right-to-counsel, it seems to me that Um, holding that we're going to extend Friedman here, which is I think what what we would have to do, doesn't seem to me that that requires that the court reach a conclusion that now uh, there's a right to counsel in all warrant uh, circumstances. Uh, I I think part of what's going on here is that drunk driving, driving while impaired is sui generis, Um, and I suspect that that's one argument that would exist. How do you feel about that?
7: I feel that because a search warrant is now present, um, it the uniqueness of the encounter between the driver and the law enforcement officer on the side of the road, um, there isn't this unique uh, decision that needs to be made by the driver. Um, There aren't, you know, um, that driver being met with the um, unchecked adversary in the field. Um, So a lot of the concerns that were present in in DWI cases at the time of Friedman are no longer present. And with the requirement of a search warrant, um, the the facts to a certain degree will look the same as any other uh, search warrant case. And so-
1: That's what I was gonna, because if there is another search warrant case, the time that you can contest that that warrant would be at a Rasmussen hearing where you, you do have counsel.
7: Correct, right to counsel would trigger at the time of for formal charging. And at that time, counsel um, could challenge the validity of the search warrant. Um, they could challenge probable cause and they could have evidence suppressed on that basis at a later time, once the uh, judicial proceedings have commenced.
2: Counsel, uh, both in today and in your brief and in the county attorney's brief, there's con- continual reference to Friedman being a plurality decision. It was a majority of the justices who were sitting, wasn't
7: it? I believe, um, and two justices took took no part. Is that correct? Sure, it was
2: a three to two decision, wasn't it? Correct. Do you have any authority for the proposition that we should give less stare decisis deference to a three to two decision than to a four to three decision? I do not. So it really doesn't make any difference. Well, it wasn't the fact it was a majority that happened to be a plurality of the court. That shouldn't make any difference, right?
7: Not not technically, no. Okay. I, yes, but I do think it's important for this court when it's uh, looking at where Friedman fits in to its jurisprudence overall, um, to also note that, that it was three justices that decided um, this limited right to Friedman exception um, and that has held through till today. Um, and while I think it's important for the court to note just to have that in, there in your mind as you consider um, the appropriateness of, of that exception and to counsel world.
1: how do you respond to um, to mr sheridan's point that we have gone from ten pages to forty six pages uh, how does that weigh when does that weigh for the defendant for the defendant's right to counsel or for the no counsel? Because it seems to me he has a point when you've gone from ten to forty six just by the sheer number we know that it's become much more complicated. So how do you respond to that argument?
7: The fact that the law is complicated doesn't trigger right to counsel at an investigatory stage in any other context. So to me, that isn't persuasive Um, to me because right to counsel will trigger once formal charges are brought um, their driver's rights are protected. Um, Now, Under constitutional analysis, their drivers' rights are fully protected by the existence of a search warrant at the investigatory stage, and then they will be fully protected by the right to counsel. So,
6: what about? And I'm sorry. I think I'm. I know that I'm catching up on this whole line of cases. But what about the argument that I that I understand defense counsel making related to kind of this rasmussen hearing, and that you can fix it after the fact that if you make the choice not to take the test. So it's almost, the the real constitutional concern here is not that you submit to the warrant, but that you choose not to submit to the warrant. And that's where you actually need the advice because that can't be cleaned up at a later Rasmussen hearing, right? Once you've submitted to the blood test, then we're kind of in a whole different world, right? So what do you make of that argument? Yeah,
7: first I'll note that this isn't a refusal Case so we're outside of the facts of this this case specifically. Um, I, I, g- I guess it could be an open question about whether uh, defense counsel in a refusal case could argue, well, the grounds for the search warrant were invalid and therefore the charges should be dropped completely because the refusal. Um, the, but once the, you
6: refuse. Well, so you're well so one thing you're saying is that it's it's possible that if you refuse to take the test, you could later challenge kind of the maybe it's not called implied consent, whatever you could the revocation of your license on the ground that the warrant was invalid. We don't know the answer to that question okay so but beyond beyond that I mean are you, you but usually you would be stuck right with your implied consent or however you want it your refusal conviction. Once you refuse, well, and, because and,
7: you wouldn't be convicted yet, you would just be charged. So, if you were charged with refusal, right to counsel would trigger. Right to counsel could um, fully defend your case. But so you've
6: what, already made the choice. What's the? So there would be a challenge to the that the warrant was invalid in that in that implied consent case, or however the the conviction or the the uh, charge for refusing to consent.
7: I believe there could be, and again, I'm sorry, I'm a little outside my my the comfort zone because that's not the facts of this case. Um, well,
1: counselors what you're saying, what I think you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that if it's a criminal process and the person has refused and they're charged with refusal, they can still contest the underlying search warrant. I think the question that Justice Thiessen was asking that when you go to the implied consent, the civil route, what what can they do if they've they they refuse, can't take that back, and that triggers a year, I think it's a year um, suspension, how can they combat that? I think that's the question. Thank
6: you.
7: And thank you. Um, Through um, challenging, they can commence a revocation, a civil revocation proceeding and challenge uh, the validity of their search warrant. Which of course
3: they have to do within 60 days. Correct. Which is, I think Mr. Sheridan will be up here telling us why that's a problem, I suspect. Any response to the argument we think we, we know we, he's going to make?
7: The legislature has drafted um, the procedures as they see fit. Um, there's no argument that the 60-day requirement violates any type of right to counsel. As um, as the justices have noted earlier, there is no right to counsel in a civil proceeding. Um, so I think that's outside the, the issue before the court in this case.
4: Counsel, you know, I'm going to read to you. This is from page 21 of of, uh, Mr. Sheridan's brief. I mean, you've suggested that the the process is not as complicated anymore, but Mr. Sheridan quotes, and I I think it has some merit. And so I just want to hear your response to it, that, Um, Now, under this new statute, despite the warrant, if ever someone needed the assistance of counsel, it would be to explain that despite a court order compelling a police officer to secure a sample of their blood, they could render the order toothless simply by uttering the word no. And just as in 1991 in Friedman, at the time of Friedman, if the test is refused, no test may be administered.
7: I find that very concerning. I find that a very concerning and dangerous argument that appellant is making. I think um, it's a dangerous policy to endorse that someone can uh, render a court order toothless.
4: Well, the language may be strong, but isn't he essentially just uh, paraphrasing what uh, subdivision 13 uh, allows an individual to do or suggests that an individual may do if a person refuses to permit a blood test?
7: Again, I would argue that my contention is that the the driver does not have a choice and there is no decision for the driver to make. But when you're served with a search warrant that's telling you that, that a judge is ordering you to submit to a test and then being told that refusal is a crime, that's not presenting you with any options. Your options are to comply with the search warrant. Then the, if, if the person refuses, no test shall be given is giving law enforcement, an avenue to avoid, to avoid a dangerous and uh, violent encounter um, and, and still be able to hold that person accountable for public policy reasons, public safety reasons under, you know, for the, um, the severity of, of drunk driving. Um, so that would be my response.
2: Council. I want to ask you about 609.50. Um, let's take a non-DWI warrant say, for search of uh, a home for drugs. Um, If I uh, obstruct or interfere with the execution of that warrant, then I'm guilty of 609.50 violation, right? Correct. And I can be obstructing and interfering without using force or violence. Correct. But if I've got this right, in 171.177, you can refuse to submit to a DWI warrant, um, and that does not violate six hundred nine point five five oh, unless it's accompanied by violence or threats. Do I have that right?
7: I believe that's right. I believe um, if it's not in statute 171.177, somewhere else in the implied consent law, um, it's saying that person will be charged with refusal and, and not charged with obstruction.
2: So in a way, it's actually a less complicated decision as to whether to submit to a DWI warrant than it is to submit to any other warrant, um, you have less chance of an exposure to a 609.50 prosecution unless you're using violence, of course.
7: I would agree with that. Okay I would I would take issue with the word decision though, um, just that when I think it's a new concept in this DWI, World with the requirement of a search warrant that there's still a decision to be made when, when you're served with a search warrant.
2: Counsel, I mean, as a practical matter, when you're served with a search warrant of whatever kind, you have a decision to make as to whether or not you comply with it, right? As a
7: practical matter. Why are you so matter. afraid
2: of the word decision? Is it because <laughs> the Court of Appeals said there was no choice?
7: Be, yes, and, and my position would be that, that when faced with a search warrant, you have no choice. But, but,
2: to comply. but there is a choice, isn't there?
7: On a practical level, okay. yes.
6: Thank you. So what does that mean for the implication of HUN in this case, if there's actually a choice?
7: HUN very clearly held that uh, Friedman is limited to when the implied consent advisory is read.
6: So it, it had nothing to do with the fact that there was a choice, even though the language of the opinion talks about being faced with a choice or not that they weren't faced with a choice in that case. So
7: right.
6: HUN is not about choice. It's about just implied, Friedman is just limited to this small thing. That's the state's position.
7: That's the state's position. Uh, this court um, knows how to write, it, write its holdings, and, and its holding in Han was very clear and unequivocal. But
6: and it knows how to write the word choice too, I suppose.
7: Correct. <clears throat> I'll I'll just conclude um, by saying that there is no right to counsel before complying with a search warrant in any arena, and there is none today in the DWI arena. To hold otherwise would be to endorse a dangerous policy that judicial orders need not be followed. Therefore, we respectfully request that this court affirm the Court of Appeals and remand to the district court for further proceedings. Unless there are any other questions, I'll sit down.
6: Is there ever a warrant asked for in a breath test situation?
7: there, there isn't a warrant requirement. I, I understand yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So,
6: I mean, in your experience, do, do police officers ever seek a warrant before they
2: take a breath test?
7: Not in my experience, no.
2: Counselor, is there anything in Hun saying that someone faced with a search warrant doesn't face a choice?
7: Not that I recall in Hun, because the, Hun was um, a consent analysis, if I, if I'm correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you, Council. Uh, Mr. Sheridan, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
4: Mr. Sheridan, you know, the Council makes the point, and, and this is just, you know, kind of plain language, if you will, for lack of a better terminology, that this is not an implied consent case. And we said in Hun and, and Friedman that, that, that Friedman was an implied consent case. And so she says it it, 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 doesn't, it isn't governed by 169A.50 through point five three. therefore you're out of the, you're out of the realm of of uh, a limited right to counsel. What's your response to, to just that basic argument that this is not an implied consent case, it's not in, even within the implied consent statute?
0: Um, my argument is that she's wrong, uh, that this is indeed an implied consent statute. Ms. Rosenbush's driver's license was revoked prior to the hearing in the same way that somebody who took a breath test uh, under the what we're calling the implied consent law, although but frankly- But you're not I-
1: appealing that issue that issue is not before the court. The results of the implied consent proceeding, you what's before the court is the motion to suppress at the district court on the criminal proceeding. Correct,
0: correct. Well, the, the, the implied consent advisory as it used to be known, it's no longer called the, the implied consent advisory. So if we read hun the way it's written, it doesn't apply unless the implied consent advisory is one or is read. Uh, that means there is no such thing as a freedman right anymore because they changed the name of the document. Does the change of the name of the document mean Friedman is gone? That, that were they able to defeat the state constitutional right to consult with an attorney by changing the name of the document? So th- th- I hope the answer to that is no. <laughs> so if that's the case, now they may have truncated the implied consent advisory in 171-177, and they certainly did. It's down to the single line refusal to submit to a test as a crime. But they didn't get it out of the realm of the dual, that, 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 that tension between the civil and the criminal. They are doing exactly the same thing. They took it out of the, uh, you know, 169A and put it in 171. But it didn't change the essential nature of this. This is an implied consent but, procedure. But, but just then what is the
4: import th- of that? I'm sorry. What is the import then of that? Of taking it out of 169 what is the import if what is the significance of that The legislature
0: can chase this around the, the 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 code book anywhere they want they can't defeat the fact that it is a state constitutional right to consult with an attorney when confronted with this decision in a DWI prosecution that's what Friedman says that's what Hun says you were invited to overrule Friedman in Hun and you said no
2: Right? This is the exactly Where where did we say st- no? I, I recall that opinion pretty well. Okay. I don't think we said no, we just said Friedman doesn't apply. In that particular circumstance. But we didn't square the, the opinion you'd agree the opinion does not squarely confront the question of whether to overrule Friedman. Well you were certainly invited to do it. I, I know that, okay. but you you, you not <laughs> only didn't. said that, you said we in your brief you say we decided okay not to do that i apologize that's a poor use of words but you were invited to do
0: so and you didn't so i I may have i've overextended that but this is no different this is another test being acquired It, it may be in a different place remember that breath blood and urine used to be in the implied consent law until birchfield said you can't do that anymore right so we haven't changed this process at all other than to Extract that from one place in the code,
1: plop it down but in counsel, another place. counsel, why not and take away the right to counsel? Why not overrule Freeman and go with the route of the federal, with the, with the route that the federal courts have gone, which is that there isn't a right to counsel until there is a commencement of the judicial proceedings. Wouldn't that be cleaner?
0: Oh, well, I suppose if cleanliness is the issue, I, 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 again, I would urge you to go back and read the quartet, because it is where these two merge where these the civil and criminal process are being thrown together during the evidence gathering process of a criminal prosecution and pretending that uh, because it's a civil case we don't need to worry
1: about the criminal we do of have that in other circumstances other i mean in fact we have it, we have it where someone the county can file a termination of parental rights petition you can lose your children at the same time that there's a criminal proceeding the civil proceeding is going to continue on and there's a decision about whether that parent is going to work the case plan and make some admissions that could be very contrary to the criminal. I mean, so it's a choice of you, you can go that you're going to get in trouble and have to maybe spend some time in prison or you can lose your children. I mean, we have, we have that in other areas of the law.
0: Yep, and the county sends you a notice and says we'd like you to come in for an interview and you're welcome to bring a lawyer with you. Or we're going to question you when we're down at the station about the way that your children were treated, and when we do that, we're going to read you a Miranda warning, and we're going to give you an opportunity. But not in the civil process.
1: There is no right to counsel in the civil process, in the investigative Mm -hmm. process. But
0: the civil process will—the civil process in the DWI context is going to march forward. That moment, it's going to happen in that moment. You're going to make an irreversible decision in that moment. Whereas the person who's being interrogated by the police can say, you know what, I should probably talk to a lawyer first and everybody's going to press the pause button and we're going to give them the opportunity to talk to a lawyer before they answer any more questions. And it is only in the DWI context where the alcohol is disappearing from the body that the, the law says it's going to march forward in that moment whether you like it or not, and you're going to make an irreversible decision in that moment. Council, there's some
5: discussion in Friedman about, I'm reading from page 833 of the opinion, um, and the court uh, was concerned about the driver at this critical stage looking to the police for guidance um, and talking about the attorney functioning as the objective advisor. Does the concern articulated there... Um, is the concern articulated there impacted at all by the fact that there's now a neutral and detached magistrate who has been inserted uh, into this process?
0: I, I don't think it changes at all. I mean, council can fight about this all they want, but there's still a choice to be made. Right? It's not about whether you have a right to refuse testing. You never had a right to refuse testing, whether it was under single-factor exigency in the old days or whether it's in the face of a warrant today. You never had the right to refuse testing, but you still have the choice of whether to refuse testing. And the person that you said in Davis is the person to get the help with in making that choice isn't the law enforcement officer, who's obviously your adversary in that process, but from an attorney. And again, it didn't guarantee you that you were even gonna get it. All you were gonna get was the opportunity to try. It just
5: seems to me, counsel, that that if that's the basis, then inevitably, we're gonna see um, in every other circumstance where there's a warrant issued, and we're gonna see arguments that I have a right to counsel, um, you, I have a right to counsel in the DWI warrant context, and so I've, there's a warrant here, and I need a right to counsel. And, and I,
0: I, I disagree because Friedman came down in 1991, and it didn't yeah, result. Yeah, but Friedman
5: was—I mean, it <clears throat> was an implied consent. In that's, that, and that's a unicorn in a way. It, it wasn't a case, It wasn't a criminal case. It was a. It was an implied consent case.
0: But, the, but in, yes. It and was so in,
5: it's different. I guess what I'm saying is it's it's different than the plain ordinary warrant case
0: what the language used in Friedman was is that this was a critical stage in a criminal process that until Hun came down that was the law from Friedman that it is a critical stage in the critical in the criminal process so can I just and was there there was not an avalanche of cases but where the,
6: everyone here's the, so in Hun had the person refused to consent that would be that's a different that's not the case true. And also in HUN, he that he, could neither have had an, he couldn't have had an implied consent.
0: There was no way the license could be revoked.
6: Right. And so I think this is getting to kind of the, well, it's starting to get to the heart of the issue, at least for men's thinking through it. So in an alternative case where your client had actually refused to consent, that may be a different is that a refuse different to case submit.
0: i don't like the word refuse to
6: submit so is that a difference thank you is that a different case than the one we have here where the choice was made not not to to, to go ahead and just let the blood test be taken but,
0: but in Han, you recognize that it is the combination of the the right to consult with an attorney along with being advised of the right to consult with an attorney that was the limited right to counsel that came out of friedman okay it's Advice in both directions. If the if there had been a refusal, would I still be here arguing that she had the right to consult with an attorney? Absolutely. Because an attorney probably would have told her, look, you're gonna get revoked for a longer period of time, and you're gonna get charged with a more serious offense. You're gonna get charged with a third degree refusal rather than a fourth degree DW. And
4: applied.
6: could she have challenged the warrant in that case? Oh sure. Yeah, in the implied consent case. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's Chief.
4: May- Mr. Sheridan, what um- would you agree that if we to adopt your position, we would be extending Freeman? I presume you you I, you I wouldn't not. characterize it. Or
0: I think this is as for the very same reasons as you read pages 18. Uh, you know the, the conditions that existed at Freeman are no different today than they were then, with the one exception that that book has grown from 10 pages to 46 pages. Okay. So the, the conditions that existed today. Or that exist today were exactly the same conditions that gave rise to this right in the first place.
4: Last question, if I may, Chief. So, and I think this was Justice Justice Anderson who mentioned this point. Would we, to adopt your rule, would we need to to say that search warrants in this D.W.I. context are sort of sui generis because we don't afford that a right to counsel in other in other warrant circumstances. Would we need to? To, our, to say those words.
0: I think to the, ex, the, the, the question kind of goes to the language that the legislature chose. The legislature didn't have to give the, the option to refuse testing, but they did. And when they did, they created exactly the same environment. So I don't know that, that there are no other search warrant statutes out there that say, oh, and by the way, you don't have to comply. This is the only, the only statute that creates that weird world, the very weird world, by the way, where a lawyer would be really helpful, and even most lawyers would scratch their heads and go, huh? Okay, so I, I don't know that it's anything other than the creation of the right to refuse that creates the right to counsel. And so I don't know that this, this the sky is falling stuff is really gonna be uh, relevant here at all. It is the only statute that says, despite the existence of a judicial warrant, you don't have to do it.
5: Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course We're in recess.